This episode is brought to you by Voodoo Ranger. It's beer. It's hoppy, trend-setting, innovative, served with a little sarcasm, just like Paperhouse Network. Paperhouse Network is hoppy? Uh, yeah? It's like beer for your ears. Get yourself a Voodoo Ranger! Welcome to the Pinch Music Podcast. It's episode 69. Oh, 69 is the magic number. Um, We are all plowed up. We're all plowed up. That's a term I came up with this morning because Jim, uh, the pickle master, the boy with the uh, robotic arm... Came in. Uh, he, he has Drove a new, fastball, 150 miles an hour. He has a new coffee subscription, and it's very fancy coffee. And he made each person in the office a personal AirPress coffee. And I will say, I am fucking plowed up. Plowed up. I'm plowed up. I'm plowed up. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I am plowed up. And Jim, how are you plowed? Um, I'm I'm also plowed up. Pretty it's, good. It's pretty strong, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it just I, I made it. I made him strong. Yeah. Coffee. It's good smooth today, though. Big shout, it, shout out to Dennis. Coffee's good today, folks. Um. <laughs> Who's Dennis? Why Dennis Callow, a... remember? That was Why? his thing. He liked coffee? What's the coffee company? Metric. Metric. Shout out to Metric. Oh, By no. the way, can somebody, some ad person, contact Metric and let them know we want them to be a sponsor yeah, on the we're podcast? trying to get that Metric money. Yeah. Trying to get that sponsorship cash, you know what Metric I mean? coffee. I mean, that would be a good start. Just send us free coffee every month. It's actually not a bad, yeah. For the it's podcast a... studio. Yeah. 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 Well, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll get on top of that. We should do a podcast about coffee. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. For sure. That would be fun. Yeah. We could have on, on like different local roasters from New York. I like how before, the, Metric, before our this sponsor. episode, Scott said, hey, we should probably try to condense the shows a little bit more, oh, make shit. them a little tighter. That's right. And within the first five minutes, we're talking about starting a new coffee podcast because we're all plowed up. We're plowed up. <laughs> and we've been listening to Stevie Wonder for the last week and a half. So uh, who, how are we not in a good mood? Well, we have. Jim has been for the last 10 seconds. <laughs> I've been listening to Stevie Wonder my whole life. Jim had a like rough most morning. Have. Jim had a rough morning. I did have a rough morning. He came to work and realized he didn't have his computer, and then he went back to house. Went back, back to, to house. <laughs> I went back. All plowed up. <laughs> I'm plowed up. And then he came back, and now he made his picks, and we're all ready to go. What are we doing this week? We're doing Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Now, can somebody explain what Stevie Wonder is? <laughs> uh, he's a genius. He's actually... A lot of people throw that term around when it comes to musical geniuses, you know, especially when you're talking about some people like Kanye West. Um, but Stevie Wonder, literally, it was a child prodigy at age 11 is when he kind of signed with Motown. And he was just, he just what a career he's had. Uh, he's just been at the forefront of the. Here's the thing that I'm excited about. I'm very interested to hear Scott's take on what Stevie Wonder did in the studio because, like the Beatles, he was using the, he was at the forefront of the technological advances in sound recording, and he wasn't just using it, he was expanding it and just 
trying to he said he, he had a vision the guy was blind but he always had a vision of the music and whatever technology was out he used it to help make what he heard in his head and what he did inside the studio is like mind-blowing we're going to get into all of that and i'm very excited to hear scott's point of view from it as he is kind of the in the studio guy here on the podcast so i and just the songs in general and how good they are, how classic they are. The albums, critically acclaimed. I mean, the classic period, as you will, for Stevie Wonder. Well, that's just like... That's kind of how we broke it down. As you guys know, when we do a, a specific artist, um, we break it down to the early life, the midlife, and the late life. Um, and we're going to get into all those things. Just a, a quick teaser. Next week, I don't know if that's what it's called. Next week, we're going to do another artist, mm-hmm. and we just came up with this concept, and it's going to be Madonna. Ooh, mm. we're going to do Madonna. And I love Madonna yeah. because she's a great artist. Yes. I was going to say something else, and then I decided, you know what? It's probably better that I don't. Yeah. Your wife she That is Fingertips Part 2 from Little Stevie Wonder. That He was 12 years old when he recorded that. And for, wow. In fact, that actually is the first number one live recording to go number one in the United States. Uh, that was from really? when he was on. He was on Motown Records. He was 12 years old, and he went on the Motown Review, where him and a bunch of the artists from Motown would just go from town to town and putting on live shows and that were, were incredible. And this one, they decided in Chicago they were going to record it. And while the 12-year-old Stevie Wonder is on stage performing, the show was running out of time, and the band for, like, the Marvelettes were coming on, but Stevie Wonder was just killing the crowd, and he just kept going. That's why it's part two, and he was just he just kept going. If you've ever... There's actually a video of this, mm-hmm. and it's when he's got, like, the world's biggest harmonica. That thing looks so big <laughs> in his hands. And uh, he just starts playing, and he's just playing to the crowd, and they're going, they're going, they're going, and it just became, like... This classic performance that kind of really elevated them. Be like, what? Who is this little guy? You I know, mean, this guy's awesome. Yeah. And that was kind of like the um, the beginning of like his stardom. In fact, do you know who's playing drums on this song, on the part two of the live recording? Jimmy Buffett. Nope. Buddy Rich. Marvin Gaye. Really? Yeah, Marvin Gaye was playing Would drums it, on the. Not uh, been one of my guesses. Yeah, Would he have taken was, a long time to well, guess he was, that. Uh, he played. Uh, in fact, the first. The first two number one hits Motown's ever had, Marvin Gaye was playing drums. This and Please, wow. Mr. Postman. So, how about that? That's I don't. Amazing. I've never really yeah. listened to like the early, early Stevie yeah. Wonder. I gotta admit, I've never been a huge fan of like child artists. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, right. Because it's like a kid. I know. It's, it's yeah. you feel a little bad for him, right? I don't feel bad for them, but like well, you know, it's just kind of like I don't know. Well, he's the. Do old... you feel bad? You feel bad? Why? Because they're well. You be... think you there has. There's not even a question. There is a parent pushing them, or an adult pushing them into doing that. They may love it. They may love it, but you know that there's an adult pushing them well, into his, doing it. His, Maybe his background. I mean, he came up, you know, single parent, uh, multiple brothers and sisters, and they were very, very poor in Detroit. And he, the only thing he could do was play music. He was playing yeah. four different instruments by the time he was ten years old. And then when he was at at one of, the, he was at a church 
singing and playing music and someone saw him and was like, hey, there's a boatload of talent in this kid. Let's sign him. Now, he did sign a pretty retrospectively looking terrible contract with Motown. They, they, you know, worked it out and everything kind of mm-hmm. was, was good. But at the time, as a, you know, kid, he was making what in today's world would be like $22 yeah. like a week or wow. something. And that's crazy. Yeah. But it was, um, it, it wasn't a great contract, but yeah, it was also mm-hmm. at the time when no one really knew what the hell they were doing. Yeah. Um, but Stevie Wait, w- so what year is this? So now this, this is, is the, the very beginning of his this career. This is mid-60s, early 60s? It's got to be. He starts in like 61 or something. Yeah, so this was yeah. this was like 63, I yeah. want to say. It was like the uh, Motown Review. And then we're talking about this, and we, we can move on. But, you know, he's one of the very, very few child artists who were known as a prodigy to legitimately fall into the, the shoes that they they created for themselves like yeah. not that many kids can actually like keep going the way he did like how much talent this little 11 12 year old had then to know oh that little 12 year old's going to grow into the one of the greatest artists of all time who's made some of the greatest if not the greatest albums of all time i mean that's uh it's pretty impressive and it's probably why we're doing a whole episode about him yeah, yeah i mean where and- where go ahead jim oh well i was going to say a few things i think it's crazy that he started at 11, and he's still active today. Like You don't see that a, a lot, right? Yeah, that's what I was going like to mention, mo- Most of the ones that go on forever, like the Rolling Stones, they weren't And he's what, like seven, famous he's like, from the time they were children. Right. He's like 75, right? Yeah, he's pretty old now. And so, it seems like he has a good head on his shoulders. Yeah, that is, that's the Although he has part, been right? married three times and has five children with like, mm-hmm. or like- He's got nine total nine, kids. With five different yeah. people. So there's a story. Yeah, but he's also been in the the public eye since he was 13 mm-hmm. years old. So I mean, <laughs> the fact he only has nine yeah. kids is actually impressive. There's some <laughs> there's some NFL players who have 13 kids and they've only been around for two years. Yeah, um, insane. But yeah, the other thing about you were saying the world's largest harmonica. So he plays the chromatic harmonica. I think almost. I don't know if he plays like a regular harmonica at all. So it's a little bit more like, at least in my opinion, it's more difficult to play the chromatic harmonica. You're it has most harmonicas are tuned to a key and you blow in and it's all in that key. You I don't know if you guys out. know this. Jim has like a harmonica collection. Yeah. So harmonica was like the first instrument I really played. So I, <laughs> um, it's true when I was, yeah. Uh, but chromatic harmonica is, it definitely takes another level of music knowledge and like understanding to be able to play it. You know, if you blow in and out of a regular harmonica, it sounds pretty good. Uh, so it looks like uh, a harmonica you'd have on a production on a stage, right? Like a fake harmonica. Yeah, but if you so that the audience could see. That. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it looks yeah. like if you're taking those. Uh, it's like a prop for those photo the photo mm-hmm. of right. at a wedding. Right. You know, yeah. It's huge. Yeah, but it's, I think it's also because he's a he's a little child. That's true. That's why. But, it looks so. Yeah. A combination of the two. Yeah. The other thing is, I never knew this was like a real live thing. I thought it was one of those things where they like bring an audience into the studio and make it sound like it's it's live. So that's definitely another layer of impressive on what, this did, song. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. hear how loud it is. Yeah. You can definitely hear, like, that yeah. is a loud and concert. That's, and that's yeah. why he keeps going. And the fact, he, at one point in part two, he starts playing Mary Has a Little Lamb, which is like, and the crowd, like, cheers. But then you're like, yeah, because he's a little kid. Because that's what he... <laughs> I mean, this guy is like... He's, he's probably like, this Mary is my favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> that That's what he's listening to. Yeah.
So that, of course, is For Once in My Life, uh, off the album For Once in My Life. This mm. was another Motown release, and I, I think pretty much everything we're talking about is Motown, no? Uh, yeah, well, they had, he a, had like, like a, a sub, he a had subsidiary a, a, uh, or what an, was imprint, a, an imprint of uh, Motown. Tomla? Tamla? Tom, yeah. Um, so this is 1967. Now, the interesting thing is he's still young as fuck. But his voice has become very mature. So he's 18 years old in this release. Uh, and also, For Once in My Life was not written by uh, Stevie Wonder. Did you guys know that? Did not know It that. had been previously recorded by The Temptations, by Diana Ross, yeah. by Tony Bennett. Okay. There's even yeah. a version with Desmond Decker. Wow, I'd love song. to hear that. There's a lot of different versions. This is almost like a, almost like a, a standard, like a jazz standard which I didn't yeah. know, but the oh. most popular one was his version. And oh. originally, the label did not want to release it because they hated it because it's much faster. The original mm. version is slower. Um, and they hated it. And they really? convinced them to release it. Finally, they got the label to, to release it, and it was one of the most popular versions of the song. It was the most popular version of the song and also really well, I think it got to number two or three wow. or something like that in the charts. I actually want to call back to what you just said later. It was how, actually- how The label has no idea what they're doing, apparently. Yeah, it was written- Well, they did something right. Yeah. Um, it is Motown. No, I know, but- Anyway, keep going. Um, it was written by Ron Miller and Orlando Murden. Just to give okay. give the credit there. Um, one thing we're going to talk about is how many instruments Stevie Wonder plays. On this record, he has credit for vocals, harmonica, piano, organ, clavinet, drums, and percussion. Loves the clavinet. Mm. You know, again, like when we wow. talked about the Summer of Soul, there's that there's that one clip of him uh, playing live in Harlem, and he's mm. singing, and then he jumps on the drums, and he just fucking murders the drums. Yeah, yeah. and it's not that he plays them like sort of it's that he's actually proficient right. in all of these instruments yeah it's, it's not like oh that guy can kind of play the drums yeah and that's where the child prodigy in the 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 genius comes in is this yeah. like he picks up an instrument and just plays it and plays it well yeah and yeah. if you're you're playing music for 60 70 years you're, you may as well learn, learn a bunch of shit yeah and you know one of the one of the things he's really well known for is is popularizing the clavinet mm -hmm. with a clavinet is a very unique instrument instrument which we actually happen to have one here at pinch recording and mm -hmm. it is a it's basically a, a keyboard that plucks guitar strings it's almost like a harpsichord it's almost like an electronic harpsichord in a way um but yeah. it, but it's laid out you know like le it's laid out like a Rhodes or like a, a synthesizer mm -hmm. and it and it just strung guitar strings with like a guitar pickup and it mm -hmm. just plucks the strings and it has this very yeah. funky vibe you hear it on a lot a ton of especially in the 70s a lot of his recordings it's like his fucking sound yeah, yeah. it's a very finicky instrument it's really like unique sound it's and, yeah. and he just brought it to the forefront yeah maybe. it's supposed to mimic the the classical instrument the the clavichord which is like what you know all not all of box but a lot of like box and before the right. piano, it yes. was like the main yes. like, instrument that could fit in a room besides and, the organ. Right. Um, but it's it's one of those like the roads that was supposed to like mimic a real piano. But then it's sort of like, oh, this has actually 
it's not just a cheap imitation of the clavichord. It has its own unique sound. It's its own thing. And if thing. you put a wah pedal on it, it's like, holy shit. Yeah. We're taking this Baroque imitation and make it into the funkiest thing ever. Yeah. And Baroque he, really is the first funk. And he, he did it. <laughs> it is decidedly so not by the, funky. So by, by Nick's rationale, since Baroque music featured a harpsichord, Baroque is actually funk music. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Or oh, funk music is actually Baroque music, I guess. If you can't fit it in the trunk, it's funk. If you don't know what genre it is, just call it funk, baby. Uh, Stevie Wonder, actually, we're going to get into this, but he just ushered in this whole sound of keyboards and the just the electronic and the technolo- technological advances of the keyboard itself. He ushered in. We're going to get into that a little bit later, so uh, I'm looking forward yeah. to that. That is My Sherry and More by Stevie Wonder. Um, so this song, it was actually written about his girlfriend um, at the Michigan School for the Blind, Marsha. So it, it was actually about a real person, sort of a tribute to her. But, uh, the, you know, one of the reasons I was saying, oh, the album, the, the label doesn't know what they're doing. They put this out as a B-side originally of sorry i have to pull it up here of i don't know why so they basically used it they they're just like well we want to keep um extending the like chart life of for of the for once in my life album and we well we have i don't know why and we just have to throw this b-side on there and we'll, so we'll just throw on um, my sharing more maybe because it was in french or you know my sharing well yeah. i know that barry gordy said that mm-hmm. and it, it's pretty brilliant actually yeah. but he says you have five to ten seconds to get the listener. That's why if you go back and you listen to all the number one or the top charting Motown hits, they all have that distinct intro. Do 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 do. You know, like a lot of them doom, start doom, with doom, the doom, chorus. Doom doom doom. Like they all once yeah. they start, they're like, "Holy shit!" I know this song immediately. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder, at this is the point of his career where he starts to. He, we're about to get into what's known as the classic period, and he's starting to kind of evolve as a musician. And he actually, when he kind of broke away when he turned 21 is when the the con he could leave the contract with motown and then they reworked the deal i'm pretty sure but i there was a little bit of tension but when he went kind of off on his own he said he had so many songs that he kept for himself because he knew motown wasn't going to release it because it didn't fit the mold of their chart chart brand brand. yeah Yeah. if you listen to this song it's very soft and melodic and it's only one little instrument and it's like that's not the Motown sound like that's just not what they want so they had a formula Stevie Wonder kind of grew out of it as well as his former drummer Marvin Gaye who also kind of started evolving and this is also the same time of uh, what's going on and so what year are we at now we're kind of getting into this the late it's, 60s early 70s yeah it was recorded in 67 
Um, and that then it was released on that B-side in 69. Huh. But um, so what happened was with, with well, first of all, I, I need to get back to the whole B-side thing. What happened was radio DJs would play the song and then, you know, they, they had heard the B-side. So they would flip it over and just play the B-side right after, which was not necessarily a common thing to do at the time. But, they, you know, they liked it better. The listeners liked it better. So it eventually um, became a its own hit and you know they they built an, an album around the around the song um and you know released that as their as their next album so but yeah in terms of motown basically what happened is barry gordy heard the song and thought basically it, he, he liked the song but it wasn't like hit material so he actually had two motown songwriters uh henry cosby and sylvia moy collaborate to sort of like rewrite the song and make it more hit worthy for for motown really yeah Th- this is my chérie amour correct and what does my chérie amour mean um i think it means it's like essentially my, honey my love, love yeah, but it's like, what what does it actually mean it's like my honey love you yeah know, like well i feel like an idiot love. that i don't have this up exactly i think it's it my means. sweet love my sweet love yeah yeah certainly my something love um, so this kind of ends the early period, and now we're going to kind of go to his extraordinarily fruitful period, right? Uh, which is sort of the mid part of his um, career, although his career is still going. Yeah. But still. Superstition by Stevie Wonder, and it's off the album Talking Book. So, you know, we're officially in his mid-period. Super funky, obviously. The sound you hear at the beginning is the. If you're wondering what we're, we're talking about with the funky clavinet, yeah, could that be, is couldn't the, be a better yeah. the prototypical funky clavinet song. I think I, I can't think of one that represents it better. So yeah, it's the Honer clavinet. He apparently uses an auto wah effect, which is kind of it sort of like follows the velocity of the notes and like makes it wah as you know as you hit it harder. Um, he has a Moog synthesizer on the bass, and he performs everything on this track uh, besides the horns. So it's all Stevie Wonder, which is so crazy, crazy. yeah, right? Because it's all like great parts. Yeah, it's like like we've been saying there. It's it's crazy, so that he can play all of that. Um, and lost my train of thought for a sec. Oh, but yeah, the clavinet I think is actually like three or four parts layered. It's not like a single track. It's like an off. Yeah, there's a yeah. If people are always trying to play it, and they're like, I can't play this. It's there's a bunch of tracks. Yeah, he's of like clavinet. layers on. Yeah, yeah several. You can hear um, Yeah, several layers of clavinet. Well, is this is this one the uh, the tanto is kind of introduced? Or are we going to get into um, that right I, now? I believe yes. Uh, I don't know about well, if it, uh, the next the next album is when the Tonto yeah. is is oh, okay. actually officially released. Yeah. So I mean we okay. could go to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
this is off the album Inner Visions. This is too high. On Inversions? It, what did I say? Inner Visions? No, is, isn't that what it is? Inversions. Inner, yeah, no, but it says Inner Visions. Inversions? Oh. Is that how you spell it? No, it's Inner Visions. Inner Visions. Oh, my God. I just got schooled. I thought it was Inversions. I, I kind of thought oh it was Inversions. Oh, my God. Inversions. I, I feel very embarrassed right now. It's okay, because I kind of thought it was that, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's right. inner visions. Oh, yeah. So anyway, um, you know, maybe it's a it's a play on it has, spirituality uh, it, yeah. and blindness. I don't know. I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. Um, but this is the period of his life that is so fruitful and so unique, and the recordings are just fantastic. So this this is 1973, and it's his official. It's his 16th album, which is crazy. It's his 16th album. Uh, it's wow. with Motown. What? 16th. That's his 16th, 16th album. 16th album. Um, Stevie Wonder plays. He's the arranger. He's audio production, bass, composer, drums, Fender Rhodes, harmonica, keyboards, uh, Moog bass, main personnel, <laughs> <laughs> Moog synthesizer, multi-instrumentalist, piano, primary artist, producer, vocals, writer. I mean, so wow. basically he did everything. Yeah. Except for recorded, I guess. It, it seems like he didn't do much engineering. I don't see that too mm. much. And yes, this is the album where the Tonto first came. Um, and it, that that was a uh, new timbral orchestra synth developed by Malcolm Sissel and uh, Robert Margulef and the ARP synthesizer on a large scale. So... I don't know. Do you guys know about the Tonto? Because this is kind of a new thing for me. I never realized well, about the Tonto. It was a gigantic. It basically was a room of just keys that they really? built. Like they stacked on top of each other and built. It was like a, a Moog synthesizer on top of synthesizer on top of synthesizer with all, every everything that you could possibly want was built into like just giant like curved wooden uh, wall, and it got so big that they actually moved it to Electric Ladyland. Wow. wow, I didn't know about this. Yes. Yeah, so the, and so and the Tonto so, is like yeah. one thing. It's not like it's not like a synthesizer. It's like well, it, it yeah. was a thing. So it it's a custom system. So it started as But there's only one of them. Right. But it's it's not like it it started as a Moog uh, a Moog modular system and then they basically one had Moog build custom modules for them. And then two had other the other like major synthesizers start building custom modules for it. So it wasn't just Moog. They would like patch the different brands together. Uh, oh, I think you mentioned them: Overheim, ARP, Roland. Yeah, he took all took, the big boys. He took them all and just like yeah. mashed them together, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And it was it created the Stevie Wonder sound. And this was I I'm pretty sure. This album, you said it was his 16th, was the first time he won a Grammy for Record of the Year, and then his 17th and his 18th album also won Record of the Year, which no one has ever duplicated that feat. Well, I mean, wow. this next album could be the most well-known and probably one of the best albums of all time. Spending most their lives living in a pastime paradise. 
That is Pastime Paradise from the critically acclaimed number four greatest album of all time, according to Rolling Stone magazine, Songs in the Key of Life. If you ask Elton John, he says it is the greatest album of all time. Uh, it's a double It's a double LP. It took him two years to record. In fact, that's why he didn't win Grammy of the Year for three straight years, because this one took so long to actually record. Wow. But as I said, the previous two that he released also won Album of the Year. Um, the reason why I picked this song in particular is because, like I just said, the songs in the key life is regarded as one of, if not the greatest album of all time. However, this song wasn't really well received at the time of the release. I mean, he it was a double LP. I think it was like 22 tracks, I believe, maybe more. Not all of them were smash hits. This one was not a smash hit. So why did I put it on here? Well, if you weren't around in the 90s and you don't know who Coolio is, this song was resurrected and became the biggest song on the planet in 1995 when yeah, Coolio I mean, it was, remade it. And made it Gangster's Paradise for the movie Dangerous Minds. And he didn't sample it. He just yeah. wrote over it. Like, it's the same exact song. Maybe in a little bit of a different key, rewrote the lyrics, added his own little flair to it. And look, I, I I had no problem with it. Um, but then it, like, resurrected. This, like, it just shows how powerful and important Stevie Wonder is. Like, his throwaway song on an album becomes the biggest song on the planet a couple years later just goes to show you how good he was in fact when coolio first recorded it had a little uh too much swearing on it so stevie wonder was like no you can't do this so coolio like cleaned it up and then stevie Wonder's like yeah great and he like performed it together and then another artist of one of my all-time favorites weird al covered it and coolio got all butthurt was like oh you can't you're stealing my songs like dude <laughs> yeah he's like really that's really funny um but it is interesting and it shows like sort of the sort of the lineage of 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 um how influential stevie wonder is yeah and because and here's another thing and this episode could be you know three hours long he also has written for so many other artists you know he wrote uh tears of a clown for Smokey robinson he wrote it's a shame for the spinners. He wrote for Minnie Ripperton. I mean, this guy, uh, he he's been all over the place. Like he wrote for everything. In fact, did we we did Superstition. That song was written for Jeff Beck. But then it was like Jeff Beck recorded, and then mm-hmm. Steve was like, nah, "I think I can do it better," and he sure did. But like he he's not he's not just like he's so talented. Yeah, like, to be to be able to be a, such a good songwriter on top of the proficiency of the musicianship of, the, of his and knowing how to record it in the studio. He was like the Beatles, but there was four of them, only one of him. It's incredible how talented this guy was. And, and it just goes to show that the greatest album of all times, throwaway track ends up actually being one of the greatest songs, well, not greatest songs, but like one of the biggest songs in, in the nineties. And we could sit here and talk about songs in the key of life. It for, could be its own episode. Yeah, I mean, it's what we might start, Taking deep dives into, but you know, albums. we we got what 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 was the uh, too much coffee analogy we did earlier? All plowed up. Plowed up. We got all plowed up, mm-hmm. and now I'm feeling like a little bit calm, and I feel like I need something that's gonna really like kind of bring it down. Deep plow. I need to. I need a deep plow. Deep plow. And you know what's great for deep plowing? What Scott? A wildly popular tidbit, Jim. Little pieces of the boy. The theory that plants can listen 
is supported by a 2017 study conducted by the University of Western Australia, which found that plants have developed senses that allow them to detect and respond to sounds to find water. That is, plants can sense sound vibrations from running water moving through pipes or soil and will move their roots towards the sounds. A 1973 study by undergraduate student Dorothy Rallick at Temple Buell College in Colorado found that plants exposed to an F note for eight hours at a time died within two weeks, while plants exposed to a similar note for just three hours at a time were much healthier than plants that weren't exposed to sound at all. She later went on to publish her findings in the book the Sound of Music and Plants. Wow. Wow. The F, huh? Oh, the yeah. F no. Kill your plants. Don't do that. Well, uh, that's a thing. I mean, they're definitely vibration sound or just waves that will go through the plant. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But uh, why why did we why was that the read? Does that, can anyone guess? Can anyone because guess? uh the, the failed album by Stevie Wonder called um The, the Secret Life of The Journey Through the Secret it? Life of Plants. Correct. Which was the follow up album. So so, Which, by the way, just you go ahead. You go ahead. Sorry, I have a little does thing. It, does it prove to his genius? You make so you your last three albums, your last three albums have won album of the year. You are on the top of the world. You're the the greatest musician on planet Earth. How do you follow up the greatest album of all time? Gee, I don't know. I'll make an album for plants because I just can't possibly live up to I can't make a fourth. So here, here's some songs for your plants. I mean, is that brilliant? Was that the greatest marketing strategy of all time? No, I think he basically just didn't make a great album. And and yeah. and that's okay. And that yeah, and that happens. You can't always make a great plant. album. He made it for but plants. Come on. Wasn't it a soundtrack though? No. Wasn't it? A, wasn't it a film soundtrack? No, you're thinking no. of uh, the Lady in Red. Oh, so I didn't. I didn't like know about this record, and I found it at a record store, and I got it recently, hmm. and listened to it, and I didn't know the hype about it or the 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 failedness of it, and I was like, eh, I'm not so into it. Yeah. And I listened to it in the blind, not knowing about this record at all, and I was like, yeah, it wasn't that great. And so that was go. not a pun. So I, I, because he looked, Nick looked at me because I said in the blind, but, um. So, you know, I think it's just not that great of an album. I Well, so maybe he didn't do it on purpose. I'm pretty sure he wasn't so full of himself that he was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make an album for plants and it's going to be amazing because I'm Stevie F and Wonder. Like, I don't think that was the case. He might have been like, you know what? I need to take a sharp left turn, kind of make something that I've been thinking about doing. And I don't care if anybody likes it because then the following album actually really good but it was coming off the heels of such a unsuccessful album that i don't think it got enough credit That is off the album Hotter Than July. The song is Do Like You. 
and it is by Stevie Wonder, the artist. Oh. I don't know if you guys have heard of Stevie yeah. Wonder. He's like a little niche yeah. artist. Yeah. Um, but this is 1980, mm-hmm. and it's on Motown. It's his 19th studio album. Okay. And this was the first album recorded at Wonderland Studios. Oh. Now, Wonderland Studios was a studio in LA that Stevie Wonder purchased and started writing, producing, and arranging his own material there. Mm. Do you know why? Why what? He moved to uh, LA? No, I don't. Because Electric Ladyland was getting so busy, they needed the space, and the Tonto took up so much room, they had to move. Really? Yeah. So wow. they went to LA. Yeah. And obviously, there's more room in LA. It's going to be like our tape machine. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. We uh, ordered a tape machine because I'm a maniac, and we have no room for one. And it turns out I measured it wrong, and I'm not even sure if it's going to fit in the building. It might not. It's coming in a crate. We'll keep you up to date about what's happening with the tape machine. We'll see. It might go have to go on the roof. I might have to build a shed I for mean, it. I mean, the Beatles did a comeback uh, concert on the roof. Maybe we put the tape machine yeah. on the roof. Tape yeah. machine's on the roof. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we are, we are about to get a brand new state-of-the-art recording studio here at Pinch Records for Paper House Network. And if you want to listen to all the other awesome shows here on the network, I highly implore you to do so, including, for all you football fans out there, the Rust Belt Rivals podcast. Take it away! Hey, sports fans! The Rust Belt Rivals are back with another season of all things football. Join Cleveland Browns fan Simon Siegel and Pittsburgh Steelers fan Nick Angelo as they take you on a trip around the league to help you make your picks, place your bets, and set your lineups for your fantasy squad. Get ahead of the competition with the Rust Belt Rivals, only on Paperhouse Network. his happy birthday and that that's it folks the happy birthday i mean stevie wonder took happy birthday and made it into a smash hit but more importantly stevie wonder was also at the forefront of a lot of social injustice and uh, being being a voice for the voiceless if you will and this song was basically uh, a protest not a protest but a uh uh bring awareness to Martin Luther King's birthday. Mm. Like that wasn't always a national holiday. In fact, I don't think we started celebrating it until 1986. In fact, South Carolina didn't actually officially call it a holiday until 2000. That's how backwards that state is anyways. But he rewrote the happy birthday song. He made it his own and it was to celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday as a national holiday. This man created a holiday a national holiday stevie wonder did that he may he, he 
he took a very important topic, very important subject, and then was like, you know what we should do, everyone? We should all take the day off of work and still get paid, mm -hmm. and we won't deliver mail because it'll be a national holiday. And he did it. No, I think it's wonderful. Jim is giving me a look like, is that true? <laughs> I mean, saying he created it is obviously far-fetched. He was a huge advocate for the holiday. I mean, he is very influential. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, he did a great job. He did. A, I'm not trying to, to downplay it. I, I think it's really cool. I think it's a good reason to put it on the. I mean, this also happens yeah. to be on the same record that of, of the last song that I did, mm -hmm. um, and and you know when we're getting into this period of his life, it's the later. It's not really the later part because this is just 1980. I mean, we could barely get. You know, there is a reputation of the music turning in and there's a lot of records after 1980 of the music turning in it's almost like stevie wonder became a victim of the 80s i don't yeah. know about you guys but most of the stuff after 1980 not a huge fan of well yeah you've said that before and i think that stevie wonder in the 80s is i mean this is probably the most commercial he's ever been like he was wildly popular in the 80s because he basically invented the sound I mean, he was in the 70s, Was he had an entire room of keyboards mm -hmm. and synths and electronic music, and then what happened in the 80s? Oh, everyone did that. Electronic instruments. Yes. So he was... He, uh, Not so, electronic music. So Stevie Wonder <laughs> basically just let his creation take over, and he just sat right there at Shotgun and just went with it. So, I, I, I mean... You could call it cheesy. There's the scene in High Fidelity, yes, where the guy comes in and he wants he wants uh, to get something for his daughter. Uh, we were watching it earlier, mm -hmm. and Jack Black is ripping on him because he's like, "Do you know the crimes against humanity that happened with Stevie Wonder after 1980?" Yeah, you know. So it's it's certainly a thing, um, mm -hmm. but you know it's true though. Like, look, you listen to those albums in the 70s, and then you listen to albums that were done after that. It's just not the same. I'm sorry, mm -hmm. it's not. I I mean, you're right on that, without a doubt. But I also think sometimes when people start to come down so hard against something, as in Jack Black and High Fidelity, there's something you're probably missing out on in there. It's not as good. There's a lot of cheesy shit. But I think there's sure. also a lot of gems that are there that probably get ignored because of, sure. the, of the stigma. Yeah, I would say that's true. But it's also like the, what if he had died in 1980? Where would his, where would... You know, like, for example, I always think about this. I always think about, like, if Hendrix had lived as long as Stevie yeah. Wonder. Like, if Hendrix was still alive today, yeah. like, would he be... At best, he'd be doing Eric Clapton shit. Who knows? Yeah. Like, what would what would Jimi Hendrix be doing right now mm -hmm. if he was still alive? Yeah, I mean, and that's the point of some of our... Like, how can you stay hip? You can't. You can't. And there's no... Can't you, though? Death Look at the, Radiohead. Death is the hippest thing you can do. Radiohead is still very hip, and they've had a very long career. I wouldn't say they're very hip. I think what? they have, I don't think they're... I mean, they're They're not, extraordinarily hip. Their albums that come think, out yeah. are very well-respected amongst the music community, and they're older guys. They've made yeah, a lot I, of albums. I, 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 I guess you're right. I, I, I mean, I guess they're not... Radiohead? What the fuck am I thinking? We need to be doing Radiohead. Radiohead, yeah. We gotta do Radiohead after Madonna. Um... Uh, but this, but back to the original point of this album of Hotter Than July. I mean, there's another song on there called Master Blaster, which is on the bigger playlist. If you want to listen to the big playlist that we make prior to every episode, just check out the show notes or follow us on Spotify. It's the Pinch Music Podcast playlists. But the song Master Blaster is on there, which is off this album too. And this album is really, really good. But 
because it was following the secret journey of the life of plants or whatever the hell it was called, it was kind of like, yeah, whatever, we're kind of over Stevie Wonder. Here's the 80s. Everybody else is doing what he used to do, so blah, 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 blah. But so Stevie Wonder kind of had to refine his footing, and I think the uh, the next couple tracks will actually kind of show where he went with that. Scott has the most disgusted look on his face right now. But um, that's called Love, Light, and Flight uh, off the Woman in Red soundtrack. So I put this on for a couple of reasons. One, because it's just so 80s. It's not a great song, but it is very synth-heavy. And I wanted that. I I think even more than some of the songs that I just may have the Tonto. I don't even know. But even more than some of those songs that use the Tonto. Um, And... It's just so 80s. But anyway, one of the reasons I wanted a real synth-heavy song is I just saw this amazing interview with Stevie Wonder once where he was talking about his whole theory behind using synthesizer and saying, you know, everyone is trying to... This is sort of in the early days of synthesizers. Everyone's trying to make the synthesizer sound like a trumpet so they don't have to hire horns or make it sound like strings so they don't need to hire a string section. He's like, you need to make the synthesizer sound like its own unique instrument and as cheesy as this song sounds he really does it here these are just weird sounding unique sounds he's not trying to make a a beautiful string arrangement on the synthesizer is that song extremely 80s yes is that song extremely cheesy yes but is that song good Yes, <laughs> that, that's and I think that goes to like you plugged that. And I'm like, I oh my know. god! It just I mean, I guess so it's cheesy. a tasting. But I part- just I, I couldn't help but start vibing a little bit. I mean, it's the like problem when is, Stevie Wonder does something bad, it's still good. I'm starting to struggle with with shitting on music I don't like because I feel like some at some point in my life maybe I'll be into it. Like mm. there's so much music that like I've come Billy around. Joel? I don't know if I'm into Billy Joel. I just had Boy, a spirit. I just I just had a spiritual experience. It doesn't mean I'm gonna go and fucking listen to Billy Joel. Yeah. But like, you know, Neil Young's a great example for me. There was a long time I didn't like Neil Young. And now I fucking love Neil Young. So who knows? Maybe one day I'll like really shitty 80s music, you know, or or, or very good 80s music. I don't know. It's just, it's not my favorite. It's not your style. It's not your brand. But this is the album. This soundtrack yeah. actually is the one that had I Just Called to Say I Love You, which is kind of known as, it's it's uh, it's that's funny. kind of a good song, right? But that's the song that was in the uh, high fidelity scene. Yeah, what the guy was asking for, and Jack Black was like, "No, I do like that it's song." Also, my that, what? I'm sorry to interrupt. That is one song that makes me feel weird. Remember, we we're gonna do an episode yeah. of songs that make me feel weird. That's one of them. Well, because it was featured in the Cosby Show, probably. Maybe. Um, that was a joke, by the way. So you can laugh. Um, th- this is the song that I got introduced to Stevie Wonder, though. Really? Because it's the 80s, and it was wildly popular when I was a little kid. It was still everywhere. So I know Stevie Wonder as I just called to say I love you. It's not until I get older and realize, oh, this guy's pretty good. He's had some pretty good hits before that. Yeah. And so it took me a very long time to realize that I just called to say I love you is kind of looked down upon of like, oh, it's kind of, you know, it's it's 
it's post Stevie Wonder, and it's like, well, I, that's how I knew who the guy was. Was that song? That is a good song. Yeah. So, once you take us out, now, get, Nick, I'm be, I'm terrible at the outros. Yeah. Say, hey, thanks for listening. You're doing it right now. Keep going. No, you go, buddy. Okay. Well, hey, thanks for listening. This was the Stevie Wonder episode. Shout out to all our sponsors, Voodoo Ranger and Silk City Hot Sauce. If you are looking for some hot sauce, go to SilkCityHotSauce.com. Use the code PINCH. You'll get 15% off your entire order. It is hot, hot, hot. And it perfect matches perfect with the song that was covered by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, did I plan that or was that just good? Huh? That was huh? pretty good. Pretty uh-huh. good? Um, so subscribe, review, like us, follow us on Instagram at Pinch Recording. Everything is in the show notes. I love everybody. I love the world. I love peace. I love I love it all. I love I even love war. All plowed up. I'm all fucking plowed up. I'm not plowed up. I need to get plowed up again, though. Yeah. I need a second round of plowed up after lunch. That's just coffee, by the way, folks. Don't get uh, all excited. Yeah, it's coffee. Just coffee. We will see you next week for Madonna. We'll go in Madonna. Keep on reaching. Paper house.